0: Well, I don't know about your families, um, but my family in particular loves baseball. Uh, In fact, if I remember correctly, I believe my my wife watched every Astros game uh, this season that was televised on Fubo. Now, that's not a paid endorsement; it's just letting you know that if you do streaming services, it's about the only place that you can catch all the Astros games here in Houston. If they were playing and we were at home, we were watching. And I think, uh, I think we made a game or two in person, but even in the middle of the playoffs when they obviously were not basing the schedule upon when we in Houston wanted to watch it and it was being played in the middle of the day, um, we even had it on in our office here at the church to keep up with baseball. Uh, Baseball, though, for my family, is not just something that we watch as spectators. We're also participants in it. And so uh, since we've been in Houston, we've spent a lot of time on and around baseball fields. Maybe a fielding practice, batting practice, a scrimmage, real game. But at least one of the parents was there cheering for one of our boys. If you've ever been around a baseball field, you kind of start to catch on to some of the lingo. You may hear a coach say something like, 3 and 3-0. It's got to be perfect, which which for those that don't play baseball or been around it, that means there's three balls, zero strikes, and we are not going to swing at this next pitch so we can get a walk. You hear parents holler good eye, even when the ball is in the dirt, uh, way in front of the kid, or the more advanced is watch the hook, which is typically what uh, you tell the batter when the pitcher... Is ahead in the count. And the pitcher's ahead in the count when they have more strikes than balls. And so, say it's a 1 2 count, they got one ball, two strikes, and the pitcher knows that he's got some pitches to waste. And so, he's going to throw a hook, which is a breaking ball, uh, which is not really helpful for 11 year olds. But you hear these things. And what these games do, like baseball, they teach kids discipline, they teach them how to um, play a game, they teach them hand eye coordination. But as you kind of are around it, sometimes you'll, you'll pick up on some of the things that coaches are saying. And they say all kinds of things. But one of the things that I, I heard that really was kind of unsettling to me was how often that I heard um, coaches say things like this. You've got to earn everything in life. If you want something, you've got to earn it. Nothing in life will be given to you. And this gets driven into their heads over and over and over again again. Now, I, I want to be fair to coaches. I think that what they're trying to say is they're trying to uh, associate baseball with life, and again, it, it's a great sport to do this with. But, but the problem is well, that might be true in things like sports. It might be true in things like academics. You're not going to have things given to you. You have to work really hard. You know, it's a little bit of a false gospel. <laughs> it can make kids believe that there's something about Life, the most important things in life, that is completely deba- is is completely based upon them. Now, now, don't get me wrong. If your kid's going to play sports at the next level, at a college level, or heaven forbid, even a, a a professional level, you know, college coaches and professional scouts are not walking through the the bleachers looking at parents and going, you know, your kid can't hit a beach ball and he can't throw the ball 30 feet, but we'd really like to have him on the team because he seems like a good kid. That's, that's not how sports works. We don't communicate this idea that you don't have to earn it. But this idea that everything in life has to be earned is ultimately a false gospel. If we try to earn the most important thing in the whole world, we will actually lose it. We will forfeit the greatest reality in the universe by trying to earn it through our own efforts. What is that thing? What is the greatest reality in all the world? I would turn our attentions to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, for us to learn more. And I would invite you to stand with me as we reflect on God's word together. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is what Paul writes to his disciple Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Would you pray with me as we reflect upon this tonight? Father, would you help me? Would you help your people? And Would you help those that Lord, are eager to hear good news? You'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Guard me from error. Bless your people. Save the lost. In Christ's holy name we ask and pray. Amen. You may be seated. What then is this greatest reality in all the world? That if you work for it, you lose it and you forfeit it. The greatest reality in the whole world, in this universe is salvation from our sin against a perfectly holy God. Our sin, our wickedness, our rebellion have made us incapable of pleasing God in our own strength by our own efforts. That is why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth. It's why we reflect upon it at Christmas. This is why God sent his one and only Son, begotten, not made, as the creed says, into the world to save sinners like you and like me. And through sending his son, Jesus, the redeemer from sin, into the world, he calls this an appearance or an appearing of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor from God to us. It is a gift that we receive, not by works, lest we boast in our own achievement. We are incapable of doing anything to earn this gift. Kids that are here today, and we're were, we're grateful that you were here today. I mention this probably almost every Christmas Eve. You may have been told that in order to get presents at Christmas, you've got to be on the good list or the naughty list. And that may be your parents' prerogative. And you may have been conditioned to believe and think that in that moment that you have to earn Earn a gift, but a gift can't be earned. You cannot earn a gift. I won't embarrass any parents by asking kids to raise their hands, but I would think that most kids here did not have to pay for their own gifts this Christmas. If you did, it's not a gift. You don't have to pay for a gift, you simply receive it. We do not earn it. We by virtue of our rebellion against God, we are incapable of doing anything good that would merit us to receive this gift. We cannot pay for grace. We cannot achieve grace. We cannot be owed grace. According to God's word, the only thing that we can do and have earned is the wage of sin, which is death, according to Romans 6.23. But Romans 6.23 does not end with this word of condemnation. It concludes with these words. That while we have earned the judgment of death for our sin and rebellion against God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's grace is given, not earned. The greatest reality in the whole world, the greatest gift that you could ever receive, is the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is why Christ took on flesh Becoming a baby, born of a woman under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. Grace has appeared in a bodily form, became a baby. And this greatest gift that we could ever receive, the thing that we need more than anything in this life, please hear me again, it is given, it is not earned. We don't like this idea. I like to be able to look at something that I receive and feel like, hey, I I earned this. We don't like the idea that we're not in control, that we are in need. We want to be the heroes in our own rescue. We don't want someone else to rescue us. We want to be the rescuer. We want to be praised for our achievements. We want to be the ones that are responsible, that get the glory. We want to be able to say, I deserve salvation because I was good enough. I deserve salvation because I worked hard. I gave money to charity. I volunteered and served a lot in the church and the community. I did it, and I did it my way. I don't need Anyone to do anything for me. We want the glory, but you know what God's word tells us in Isaiah 42 8? That God will not share his glory with anyone. That he is Savior from beginning to end. That we cannot earn his favor. For all of our effort, our work, we will never be good enough to pull ourselves out of the pit that our sins have placed us in. What we need is the grace of God that has appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. As Titus 2 tells us, grace has appeared. This gift of salvation is offered for all. To all who would receive Jesus, as we already read in John 1, they will become children of God. They will be forgiven. They will be redeemed. They will receive eternal life from the one who earned it for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We will receive eternal life as a gift. This is what we remember about Christmas. This is what our focus is upon. The gifts that we receive today and tomorrow and Monday are an echo of the greatest gift that was ever given. Eternal life that we would receive if we would simply place our trust in the one, Jesus Christ, the one who is grace embodied that has appeared to offer salvation for all. Christians, I would encourage you to meditate on this grace that has appeared. I want to remind you that your relationship with God is based on His grace, not your performance or your efforts. Hear that again. Your relationship with God is based upon His grace Not your efforts. Husband, wife, your relationship with God is not based on how well you've done in your marriage. Fathers, mothers, it's not based on how well you've done with your kids this this year. Kids, your salvation is not based upon whether or not you've perfectly obeyed your parents this year or been grateful for every gift that you received. Our relationship with God is forever and always on the basis of his unmerited favor toward us in Jesus Christ. We stand before God, as Christians, as ones who have been declared righteous in his sight by his grace to you. Freely you have received this grace. You do not begin your salvation in this Christian life by grace and then end in your own strength. From beginning to end, God is at work saving you, having mercy on you. And as you reflect upon that during this Christmas season, I want you to remember and think deeply about the fact that you belong to God because of his grace and not your performance or your effort. Maybe you've wandered from the Lord. Maybe you have not been following as you ought. Maybe you haven't been involved with church as you know you should. You don't even feel like you belong around God's people. Maybe you feel like You are unworthy to return to him because you haven't been living for him. Dear Christian, you need to hear the good news. Grace has appeared. You are saved, being saved, and will be saved by all of grace. His grace invites you. His grace keeps the door propped open for your return. His grace extends an invitation for you to come back home. And if you do, his grace will welcome you with love, life, and relationship. Let his grace lead you back into his presence tonight. Maybe you're here tonight, you say, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm just here. I'm spiritual, but I'm not really sure that Christianity is anything unique. Everybody has a religion. There's really nothing about Christianity that compels me to give it a lot of serious thought. I'm just fulfilling an obligation to be here. It's probably what I should be doing anyways. In love, I want to encourage you to do me a favor. You can't do it right now. I mean, you could, but I guess you wouldn't do a very thorough job if you do what I'm fixing to say right now. I want to encourage you, if, if you are not compelled by Christianity and you feel like all roads lead to the same path and I don't, need, I don't need Christ, I can do it on my own. I would encourage you to search and seek if you can find one other religion in the world that offers salvation freely and totally on the basis of grace. Find one religion that says everything you need is provided for you, and all you have to do is believe. In his book, "What's So Amazing About Grace," author Philip Yancey tells the story of when C.S. Lewis, famous writer that many of you are probably familiar with, interacted with a group of experts in comparative religion. They were working through this question of, is there anything really unique about Christianity? They were back and forth. Was it the resurrection? No. Is it the virgin birth? No. Is it it the miracles? No. At some point, Lewis lost his cool and just kind of interrupted and said, "Ah, that's easy. It's grace. Then Yancey goes on to explain this in the detail that I want you to leave with tonight. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhists have an eight-fold path to salvation. Hindus have the doctrine of karma. The Jewish people have the covenant. And the Muslims have the code of law. Each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to tell you, you are loved unconditionally by a heavenly father who has sent his son into this world as an appearance of grace. Why would you keep searching for something, looking for a way to earn what God has already provided for you in Jesus? The approval before God that you are looking for and hoping to achieve through your own efforts is only found in Jesus, and it can only be received, not earned. There are many things in this life that you'll have to earn. Kids, there's many things in life that you'll have to earn. You'll have to earn a spot on that high school baseball team. You'll have to earn acceptance into college. Parents, there's a lot of things you're going to have to earn. There's a lot of things that we have to earn in this world. But you cannot earn the most important thing. You receive it by grace. You receive it by placing your trust in Jesus. This free gift of eternal life. Would you receive this grace tonight? Would you embrace it? Would you ask him to save you? Even tonight, to have mercy upon you. The invitation of his grace is before you. There will never be another offer like it in the world. Not that you won't hear other people talk about it, but there's no other religion in the world that can offer a deal like this. Eternal life for your admittance of your need for him, your admission. You can receive salvation, forgiveness, and redemption from the guilt and the shame and the sin that you carry and even from judge it in this very moment because grace has appeared for you. This is what Christmas reminds us about: Grace coming from heaven to earth for us. Would you pray with me. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.